In this podcast, I'm sharing my passion and curiosity for soft robotics, where we share inspiring stories about the work we do and how we can push the limit. I am Mara Dwini, and this is Soft Robotics Podcast. Support for this show comes from Science Robotics Journal. I really find Science Robotics to be a great resource for reliable and tangible research where we can really push the limit of the science we do in robotics. Great way to stay up to date with the published article is checking out the released monthly issue. All the links will be included in each episode description. We will also happen to have a regular conversation on the most published science robotic articles where also you can contribute with your question and thoughts about the research. Thanks Science Robotics for sponsoring Soft Robotics Podcast. I would like to define yourself. Right. Uh, so my name is Park Pong Chiraratananon. Uh, right now I'm an associate professor at the City University of Hong Kong uh, with the Department of Biomedical Engineering. So I see myself as a roboticist uh, who is interested in uh, bio-inspired robots and uh, micro aerial vehicles, flying robots or flapping wing robots, for example. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, first of all, congratulations for the science robotics paper. We will touch on that. But I find what you're doing is very interesting. And maybe I would like to ask you in general, uh, since you have this experience in micro aerial vehicle and bio-inspired robots, uh, maybe firstly, if you can give a picture about the challenges, the many challenges when it comes to bio-inspired robot, and then if we go to micro area vehicle here or bio-inspired drones here at this paper already center about? Sure. Uh, so maybe I can begin with a little bit of history. Uh, so I was trained uh, uh, when I was a graduate student doing my PhD. Uh, I was in the Harvard Microrobotics Lab uh, in Boston. And uh, the project I was working on was the famous RoboBeast project that was led by Professor uh, Rob Wood at Harvard. So the goal, in case you're not so familiar with the project, the goal is actually to create kind of a swarm of insect-sized flapping wing robots. So in a way, they are, of course, bio-inspired uh, because they are imitating the flight mechanisms of insects and they are also obviously flying robots so which falls in the area of micro aerial vehicles now the important thing i think is the, the question is why would you want to uh, why why are you interested or why would someone be in, be inspired by biology or why would that be an interesting topic or a good idea uh, to do research uh, and I think sometimes it is because there are answers uh, to challenging questions that can be found uh, from bio- from biology. For example, in the case of the RoboBeast project, uh, you, uh, you will find that uh, in order to create something that is really small and lightweight and to be able to fly, it's actually extremely challenging. Uh, if if, if you're interested in that, we can come back to this later. But it's extremely challenging because of many reasons. Uh, when, when you would like to scale a vehicle down, uh, you cannot just train everything and expect it to work the same way as something at a larger scale. And, the, um, and that's the reason why you see uh, how insects and birds, they actually fly little differently they actually fly differently so if you would like to also create something that is small that can fly at the insect scale you will find that flapping wing mechanism is actually one of a really good solution and that's also why um, bio inspiration can sometimes be an answer to engineering problems great great so maybe i think we can cover the challenge because i think it will be interesting to tell us what challenges but for that, I want to ask the the paper in science robotics. And okay, so maybe before going to maybe if we can first like tell us what's the main problem you're trying to solve in this paper, and maybe we can go for the bio inspiration. Why you choose the seed Samara and the design? Maybe kind of the problem. What's the main problem here in this paper? 
Right. Uh, so again, uh, I I would like to to uh reference refer back uh to to another robot, right? So the the actual challenge of uh making an efficient flyer at small scale, um, is due to the inherent inefficiency. Okay, this sounds in going into a circle, but uh, bear with me. So the mechanism of flight, right, uh, that we're talking about is about aerodynamics, me meaning the way to fly is actually to create, to, to propel the air downwards and use direct reaction force to stay aloft in the air, right? So it's about creating the air motion, right? So which is the air is fluid. So everything comes down to aerodynamics and fluid dynamics, right? So in fluid dynamics, there is this number. It's a magical number. Uh, it's called Reynolds number. This Reynolds number is basically the ratio of um, inertia forces to viscous forces, right? Meaning initial forces, it means mass and acceleration and viscous forces is basically the frictional force, right? Um, so when you scale down uh, anything, uh, the, the Reynolds number will be smaller, meaning the ratio of initial forces to viscous forces becomes smaller meaning that uh, there's a lot of energy that is lost in the friction, that is lost as a, an air drag. That's, that's why small uh, machines or animals or anything, they are they become inefficient to fly at smaller scales. Right. Um, so for example, we find that uh, uh, you cannot scale down airplanes and for example, fixed-wing planes, when they become very small, they become extremely in inefficient because of this. Uh, as a result of the like small uh, of the increased dominance of drag, for example, you will have smaller lift coefficient, larger drag coefficient, meaning you cannot generate enough lift and you lose lots of energy as drag, right? Um, so do you find that uh, summarize, right? somehow overcome this problem, kind of work around this problem um, by using the rotation of their, their wings. And the rotation of their wings are actually uh, creating something that is called leading edge vortex, which actually somehow increases the lift coefficient so that they can fly relatively more efficiently. So let me uh expand this a little bit further right so if you look at airplanes if you look at airplanes um the main lift mechanism is also the same is the wing so wing of an airplane are uh, creates move toward move through the air to create to create lift right so in order to create lift they have uh they make a small angle with respect to the moving direction with respect to the air, that angle is called an angle of attack. You can imagine if you have a sheet of paper, right? And if you move it parallel to the air, you actually don't feel much force because the drag is small and also you, the lift is small. But now if you uh, tilt that paper up a little bit and you move through the air, you will feel that there will be a force lifting the paper up, right? So at a small angle of attack or small angle, small tilting angle, that's how the plane flies. Now, when you tilt the, the, the wing of the plane a little bit further, more than say 15 degrees, 20 degrees, you'll find that the lift becomes smaller. Uh, that's the condition where when a pilot is flying the plane, they don't want to get into, it's called stall, right? The, the basically, the plane will lose lift and basically uh, everything goes, uh, you know, in a, undesirable situation. Now, for samurai wings, right, when they're actually spinning, when they're rotating, they're actually going through the air at a at relatively large angle. It could, uh, it's likely to be more than, it depends on species and 
and uh, the details, but it's usually more than 20 degrees. But they still have very high lift coefficient. And this is because of, um, that's a vortices. That is actually uh, going on the on the leading edge of the wing. That's, that's why it's called leading edge vortex, right? When, when they have this, uh, it will delay the stall. It's called delayed stall, meaning it will make the stall happen at larger angle of attack larger angle of attack um, and meaning even at larger ang angle of attack the lift coefficient keeps increasing so they can cre actually create more lift when they're actually gliding or falling uh, so if you're not familiar with the samurai wing I probably forgot to to explain that basically uh, is sometimes it's called helicopter seeds so basically it's, uh, it's a seed of a plant that has wings so when you uh, when it falls, it kind of rotates and it falls more slowly as a gliding flight. Uh, technically, it's called auto-rotating flight, right? Um, it's, it's one kind of gliding flight. And and basically, um, you see, uh, this is this study from biology, from physicists, uh, from plants can uh, help you to, to find mechanism and a mechanism for flight at small scale. And this leading edge vortex only works at small scale. Uh, at low resonance number, that's the that's the key. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Maybe mm -hmm. I want to ask you first about the the, the mm -hmm. how to choose the the inspiration. For example, this helicopter seed samurai here is. I'm just wondering when you try to find this kind of inspiration here insect and here plant, how you choose that? I mean, how you figure out uh, since it's something not everyone could be familiar with that there's a solution here. Already we have in nature, but how you come up? Let's choose that mechanism. I mean, how you choose that in the beginning? In which basis? Hmm. Right. So how to? I think the question is how to come into that idea. Yes. Uh, and how you choose beginning. that? Yes. <laughs> right. Um, I'm not sure whether. That's a good answer to that question. Um, however, um, sometimes it comes from, in many cases, it comes from, um, well, blunt answer would be, would, would be uh, it comes from experience and, and reading more, for example. Um, one thing that relates me to this is for example, as I mentioned, I was working on flapping wing robots, right? Uh, and I was uh, somewhat, okay, to some extent familiar with aerodynamics of insects and flapping wing flights. Uh, now, that, uh, you will find that uh, basically all these flyers, they are called uh, flights at low Reynolds number. Right, which somehow okay, which you make use of what people call unsteady aer aerodynamics or unsteady mechanisms. Uh, one of them is the is term leading edge vortex that I just mentioned earlier. So what I'm actually saying is, uh, one of the key fly mechanism of insects is actually found to be the same thing that samaras or wind seeds use. And so meaning that actually connections here that you, if you actually familiar with one area, then you probably find something also similar. Mm -hmm. Find also something similar. However, I think the real challenge uh, is that how to make use of those information that you actually that anybody everyone has access right and to create something uh unique or something new that is also useful right um i think that is actually a difficult uh engineering question because uh for example even when you know about these principles um it doesn't mean that you can immediately create a vehicle or a robot that 
imitates them efficiently because when it comes to robots or machines, there are issues related to, for example, actuations. Right? You need to find a way to generate the motion that you want efficiently as well. And if the motion that you want to generate is not totally compatible with uh, the actuators that you have, then the whole thing also will not be efficient. Um, right. So the one example I'm talking about is in the case of the Samara-inspired robot, right, in the paper, uh, you you will see that uh, we use two propellers on the tip of the wings of the robot. So to elaborate, so we put two propellers, two motor-driven propellers horizontally uh, in a symmetrical but opposite directions to drive the two wings to rotate. Um, an obvious solution actually would be to use one motor, uh, one coaxial motor in the middle of the robot and spin it like a helicopter, and spin it like a helicopter. Now, doing that actually would be would not be very efficient because of the mismatch between the arrow, the forces generated by the wings and the torque generated by the motors. So it would actually make the system, the entire system, become inefficient. Um, so so you have to kind of match, uh, match the system uh, in order to yeah to make. Uh, more things more efficient, more efficient as well. So, 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 one challenge of bio spiral bots is actually not to forget about the constraints on the engineering aspects of the project, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. Maybe I want to ask you in the design consideration. You mentioned, for example, no. the mismatch, like if you have one rotor in the middle, it would not be efficient for energy. Mm -hmm. And maybe when you mm -hmm. try to look for the actual Samara helicopter seat here, when you look to the material and how they looks like, I mean, the morphology, and also when you try to do that in the lab and figure out which design would be viable to make this work. When you look to this design space, because to, I don't know, you have a lot of experience, but sometimes it could be messy in your mind. So why do you mind what I should do here or here? What tactic do you think to figure out? Yes, let's let's do this direction, or you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And and if I were to expand on that, then then I can also say that um, when you look at the exact configurations of the samarats, the wing seats when they are falling, okay, the aerodynamics property, um, you, and for example, the wing shape, the wing profile, they, through evolution, they are somewhat optimized, right, for that task, meaning to slow down the descent so that they can be blown away, uh, like further for their reproduction. So in a way, uh, that configuration, the wing shapes, and the mass and everything are pretty well optimized. It might not be perfect, but it's pretty good. Right? Now, if we would like to create a robot and then that actually for flying, not for auto rotation, not for gliding, not for slowing down the descent, and we just imitate, blindly imitate the wing shape, even at that scale, right? Um, and put that onto the robot. It also will not be a very efficient design because the condition for flying, meaning you actually stay kind of still in the air, and the condition for falling are actually not the same, not exactly the same. Uh, it could be based on the same principle, but they are actually used for different situations. Right? So the way uh, we made the robot is we actually tried um, to understand the fundamental principles uh, 
why, for example, the Samrat's ring uh, have that particular profile for that particular task. And then if we would like to apply the same principle, but not for, for, not for slowing down the descent, but for staying in one place, hovering in the air, then what should the shape of the wing be, for example? And it would turn out to be different. And those two things will not be operating at the exact same condition, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. Maybe that's a really good point. Uh, since you already have been working on intelligent mechanism, or I, I don't, I think it's like physical intelligence to minimize the control. In that case, when you look to, you say the morphology, or um, how you see the the intelligence in the design. For example, you have been a flying insect, or inspired by the bees, and here the Samara, the helicopter seed. When you look to the pattern, what, what makes these um, uh, these things, a plant or insect, has physical intelligence so that they don't have brain? I don't know how you see this. Mm. Because that's what you do, really, I think. The, right. the intelligence and design to minimize the control and sensing and more intelligent in your architecture or structure. How do you see these two things here? Right. So you brought up a rather interesting point and uh, kind of also um, somewhat, a, I'm not saying this in a negative way, but it's also kind of a buzzword uh, on, mm. uh, say, for example, uh, artificial intelligence or in uh, robotics uh, community, we also look at um, some people call it uh, mechanical intelligence, adaptive morphology, or, or computational, let me think, uh, morphological computation, for example, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, talking, about, talking about how we can use uh, materials and design to facilitate uh, control uh, and maybe stability and, fun and, and to improve, to enhance function. Right, and that's actually um, one of a very good point in in uh, the field of say micro robots or mini robots, or, or when you, you want to actually create robots that are lightweight. Right, um, the reason I'm saying it is this: suppose you want to make your robots, especially flying robots efficient what you want to do is you want to get rid of all the dead mass right you want to make sure that everything is as light as possible because anything you carry means you have to expend more energy to support that right in the meantime if you would like to gain function um, a direct straightforward solution would be for example to add more parts and add more components and actuators, which is actually the opposite of trying to get something to be eff efficient. So one key is actually to try to make sure to obtain the function you want using as fewer, like fewer parts, components as possible. Um, so this means, okay, um, I'm going to give you uh, one example, right? Uh, if you look at um, robo bees, okay, I would like to go back to uh, my previous work and also not just my work, robo bees has been uh, contributed by so many uh, researchers, right? One of the key design of robo bee is the original robo bees from Harvard. Right, that took flight. It has two actuators, only two actuators. Uh, one for controlling each wing, meaning it has two wings, uh, and flapping uh, on the sides of the body of the robot. Right. So <clears throat> if you think of a wing of an insect, right, you can think of it as your hand, right, and you put, uh, put out your hand just like you were going to uh, do a handshake. Right, meaning you, 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 your, your palm is actually vertical. 
Now, uh, how insects flap the wings is basically it's just flaps the wings or your hands forwards and backwards uh, in a rotational motion. In a rotational motion. So imagine if you were waving your hand like that, okay? Because this is the motion created by your actuator. This one, this motion, you actually not generate any lift force because it's just pushing the air to the sides, mm -hmm. right? But and you 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 can do this only with one actuator, for example, because the actuator can create this one degree of freedom flapping going back and forth, right? It's piezoelectric actuator. But now, in order to create a lift force, what are uh, the uh, research, researchers did very cleverly, right? Uh, I think actually I have to credit my previous advisor, previous supervisor, my PhD supervisor, Robert. I think it was one of his pioneering work, right? That he put a passive hinge onto the wing hinge, meaning it's basically a free hinge, non-actuated, that allows the wing to uh, rotate in the other direction. When when I say in the other direction, I'm talking about, for example, rotate about the axis that is formed by your uh, index finger, for example. So your 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 hand now can rotate to have palm up and palm down, right? So when you create the flapping motion, the air will actually push the wing to rotate, and because of this rotation, it generates lift. So meaning, actually the wings has two degrees of freedom. One is passive, and it's driven by only one actuator. And this, I, I'm saying this is the key because you actually have, you have very simple mechanical structure, meaning a wing, a wing hinge, a passive wing hinge, that allows the wing to actually have another degree of freedom, uh, to to move in to move in another degree of freedom, meaning the wing rotation, not just flapping to create lift for the robot for the robot with only for the robot to fly. So you, that's why you could actually fly the robots with only two actuators. Um, so when it comes to uh, uh, physical intelligence uh, or mechanical intelligence here, uh, we I would say. That was one of the example that maybe uh, may may not fall exactly into the definition of uh, physical intelligence or mechanical intelligence nowadays uh, because it does look uh, it's it looks actually very simple but it works extremely well right um so when you work with small robots these all these tricks are. are become very important. And the simpler it is, the better because they don't go wrong. Because they don't go wrong, they they are less likely to break, for example. And in this case, uh, it's also the same uh, that uh, the design of the Samurai Inspire robot actually doesn't look like, doesn't look identically like a Samurai because a Samurai has a seed, one seed and one wing and in our robot, we have two wings, and that's by design, okay, with two wings, is basically to simplify the analysis, the modeling, uh, because you have the symmetry, because you have the symmetry. And by using uh, two uh, actuators only, uh, we can also control uh, many things. We can control, for example, in this case, um, the position of the robot, meaning we can place it anywhere in space um, with only two actuators. Um, the interesting part is this, um, is if you look at quadcopters, for example, they have four actuators, they have four propellers and four motors. Um, you can, in a simplistic way, you can think of four actuators as four inputs. When you have four inputs, you can more or less directly control four outputs, right? So in the case of quadcopter or drones that people know, you can control uh, roll, pitch, and yaw motion. Uh, you can think of them as angle, uh, three degrees of freedom, and then thrust or net, net thrust, okay? So with this four, it can be translated into uh, 
control of XYZ position and the yaw angle or heading angle, they can be translated, but it comes down to the four things, to four things because you have four inputs, right? Um, so with the revolving wing robot or the samurai inspired robots, we only have two actuators, uh, two propellers. Um, so, but they they oriented horizontally. So what we did was we kind of forego, like we give up control of how fast the robot the robot is spinning in the yaw direction. However, the faster the spin, the more lift it generates. So in a way, if you think the robot, if you imagine the robot is upright, it means that if you uh, propel the propellers faster, uh, drive the propeller faster, stronger, then the robot will spin faster. Then it means you can generate more lift or less lift, right? You can go up and down, for example. If you want to actually move to the side, you can time okay, the propeller such that for example, when the propeller is pointing forward, you make sure that it generates more force at that moment, then it will move into that direction. So in a way, uh, we use cyclic control to control the position of the robot. And this probably cannot be called uh, mechanical intelligence. It probably doesn't fit the definition, but I sometimes believe that using uh, tricks like this to improve the control and with uh, the fact that you are kind of, you have a physical limit because you have only two actuators, but you can still achieve this kind of function uh, by doing some clever tricks, right? Uh, probably, I, maybe I can call this something else, dynamic core intelligence or something, uh, maybe, but I think the idea is the same, is basically you would like to uh, achieve more uh, with, uh, in the constraint of your uh, hardware limit with the constraint of your hardware or, or of course software um, and to simplify the control. Another point uh, about this robot uh, is also the fact that uh, I was talking, I was jumping right to directly to uh, position control but uh, for people in the field of flying robots they usually would talk first about attitude control or control or controlling your orientation because uh, if you don't control your orientation for example if you don't make sure that you're upright imagine if your quadcopter your drone is upside down it won't be able to fly so before it can fly you have to make sure that it stays more or less upright first meaning you have to try to control your attitude first um, uh, and uh, I didn't say that at the beginning is because for this robot, the attitude is passively stable, meaning if if I just give the same commands to two motors, the motors on both sides with the same command and give them constant command and I don't do, I don't have any intelligence, any control, uh, no microcontroller, the robot will still fly up uh, and it will stay upright. Uh, it won't go far out from upright because it has what we call uh, passive stability, passive stability, and that's possible because we have huge wings, and when you put the wings, uh, in the right uh, position with respect to the center of mass, uh, the robot becomes passively stable. Um, so, the the passive stability uh, sounds is actually simple than, I mean, it's complicated, but the the concept is also very simple. So for example, uh, if you have a real samurai seat, you can actually throw it from any orientation. And because of the aerodynamic interaction, if you give it enough space, it will actually fall down with the seat uh, below the wings and it will be spinning. Uh, it's the same as, for example, if you fold a paper to make a paper plane and you throw it uh, you throw it up for example or you throw it or you just drop it uh, if you if there's enough space for it to uh, correct itself it will actually go down to the flight condition to the gliding condition 
uh, on the paper plane, uh, it means that those systems are kind of passively stable. It has its preferred uh, orientation. But of course, that doesn't happen to everything. For example, if you throw a bottle of water, then it won't always land upside, I mean, right side up, for example. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thanks so much for clarification. Maybe mm -hmm. since the constant, I have a few questions for you. If there's if something was counterintuitive or maybe surprising when in the design process, maybe in the understanding, first of all, the, the here's the Samara helicopter seed, maybe something was counterintuitive to your understanding, or maybe in the design of the actual bios robot, maybe you can choose whatever he or he had. Okay, sure, sure. That's that's a good question. Let me think about it a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, at the at the end of the day, everything has to be, what well, I mean, was explained, so everything became like reasonable. But think at the time, there might be a few things uh, that was surprising. Yes, of course. Um, right. Um, so this is probably not um. Let's say, it's, it's not uh, counterintuitive, and um, maybe it is surprising, maybe it is not, uh, but I would say it's, it's interesting uh, to know um, or to find out, right? So, you, you would find that um, if you look at the robot, um, sometimes the the entire robot uh, is only thirty five gram, including a battery, right? But it's actually it's it's relatively lightweight. It's lighter than most commercial drones that are basically autonomous, meaning they have they can fly by itself. But our robot is actually huge. The fact that it's actually only thirty five gram. Is huge, meaning the wingspan is actually over two feet. If you find a thirty gram drone, uh, you will find that their footprint is probably about ten, twelve, uh, centimeter or fifteen centimeter max, right? Meaning our robot has huge wings, right? Um, so this huge wings is actually a result of the optimization from the optimization. Uh, we actually had to limit the size of the robot because if we optimize it freely uh, without constraint, I think it would even be bigger than this and it might actually be even better than this, right? Um, the reason is this, um, that is something, a quantity that is called wing loading or disloading. Wing loading means uh, how much lift force is generated per unit area of your wing. Uh, for example, yeah, per unit area of your wing. So uh, for example, if you have larger wings supporting small weight, like lightweight, then your wing loading is low. Right? So it is kind of known that uh, from moment is is some that's some uh, theory that's called momentum theory. People use that to describe or uh, in uh, say examine to explain to um, to study propellers to design propellers uh, and to understand the relationship between power force generated by propellers. And when I say propellers and wings. And and rotating rotating wings, they're more or less the same. Uh, but at least according to momentum theory, they don't care. Uh, they they don't. They it's not super rigorous. Momentum theory is some something that is rather simplified, but it works well given uh, the simplification. So it has its limitation. But momentum theory says that your actuator disc or your propellers or your rotating wing, right? will be more efficient uh, if your wing loading is low, meaning larger propellers are usually more efficient than small propellers. And that's that's one explanation, right? Why our robot is 
efficient. It's not the only explanation, but it's one main explanation uh, because we have huge winds, right? So the wind rotating slow, right? So when we were uh, doing the analysis, for example, we found that uh, our the wind rotating of our robot is 100 times smaller than quadcopters or quadrotters that have similar weights. So 100 times smaller, meaning our wings are basically 100 times bigger. And that kind of explains a lot why we managed to get this kind of efficiency. Um, we also, um, but at the time, okay, we, and of course the, this number, this loading is, is also, wing loading is also scale dependent. So you cannot just compare, it's not entirely fair to compare uh, uh, different robots of different weights, uh, but if they're the same weight, sure, you can make a comparison. So if you plot out, for example, if we plot out the wing loading as a function, with as a function of mass of flyers, maybe we, we include birds, robots, insects, planes, whatever, right? Um, so after the paper submission, um, actually after the paper came out, we actually plot out the wing loading versus mass for many things. Uh, and of course, we found that for our robots, the disk loading or the wing loading is much lower than other robots of the same weight. But we also find that the maple seeds or samurai seeds, they also have extremely low wing loadings compared to other things of similar scale compared to insects, for example. And at the time, we actually didn't know it. We didn't know that. We, we, we could guess that it would be low, but, but we actually didn't plot it out. We didn't actually make the comparison. So it came out as um, kind of a good surprise. Mm -hmm. uh, not totally unexpected, but we didn't expect it to be that obvious mm -hmm. either. That's a great. Maybe I want to ask you, I just ask you about the, the challenges. You mentioned at the beginning, there's a challenge when you go to small scale. And I'm curious about what are the main challenges? Me, for example, I would like to ask you is fabrication. And also, do you think sometimes when we try to push the technology, for example, fabrication, still has limitation? I mean, it's just kind of the trade-off. We have something, it's not good, but we're trying to push the other side, but still there's something there. And we in the in the middle, you mean maybe in the fabrication, I don't know, you can choose whatever you think. Very challenging. And you can give example what's what we have and maybe still there's a trade-off to reach this optimal thing. You see what I mean? Right. Uh, so so why I have been um I have some experience working with uh say micro robots or milli robots. Uh, and I cannot exactly claim uh, that this Samara 30 gram Samara Inspire robot is is uh, at the same scale. Uh, is is something that is somewhat uh, larger already and and the micro challenges that you find in some you find in some smaller micro milli scale robots uh, do not totally apply here, but there's still some there's still uh, some overlaps. It's also something in the middle. So let me elaborate. For example, um, if you would like to go down to say a scale of a few grams or one grams or even smaller or even just say a few grams. Uh, you will have to think differently if you trained uh, in a traditional way. For example, when you think of making robots, people would think of, for example, uh, taking an Arduino, uh, 3D printing a few things, uh, screwing a few things together, for example, to make components. Right? Now, a screw probably weighs a few uh, a gram already. Um, so, I mean, uh, say an m4 m5 screw so so it's not something that uh you would like to use uh in robots that are in the order of 10 grams or smaller and 30 gram is probably on the borderline for example right so 
So for example, if you look at our robots, right, um, you find that it's made the main components, uh, the main structural component is just carbon fiber rod. It's very simple. In a way, it's very simple. We also still would prefer to use off-the-shelf, commercial off-the-shelf components if possible. Uh, it's not going to be, it's not easy to make your own carbon fiber It's possible. It's not easy, right? But you want to minimize the work you want to do. Um, and our wings are basically just kept on cheap. They're basically uh, some sort of plastic that is super strong and they come in different thicknesses. Um, now, um, but the, but uh, one thing that is not very efficient on the robot, that is not very optimal on the robot, is actually the flight controller. Uh, this is because we actually took a flight controller of a commercial uh, drone uh, known as Crazy Flies and just put it on that on our robot. There are lots of functions that actually we don't need. For example, that flight controller uh, is a is all in one flight controller. It has power electronics. It's, it can drive, for example, four motors when we actually only need two. It also has uh, structural components that we don't need. Uh, and it makes things a little bit heavier already. But um, so I think some, some kind of barrier uh, for people uh, who are actually inexperienced in working with something small and then when then they want to make something small is that they they some people for example when I train my students uh, when they come in and you ask them to design something they would think uh, in terms of just 3d printing something and or putting things together screwing things together right and that doesn't work when you want to make something very small 3d printing becomes really good uh, especially the soft lithography uh, we have form labs and also some cheaper stuff uh, that use lcd resin printing but um but when they become small um their precision is still not there and uh, say for example the the strength is still not there it's still not nowhere as good as carbon fiber for example right so at smaller scale there are techniques that based on for example lamination meaning you have for example sheets of material that you laminate them together and you make kind of origami, origami inspired pop-up structure uh, and we kind of not doing that in this robot because we're not that small but we also use something we have learned from there. For example, if you compare um, the wings of our robots with, uh, with uh, wings of insect scale uh, flapping wing robots, you will find that they actually look very similar. They actually look very similar um, because uh, basically we just get rid of anything that we don't need. If you look at uh, wings of, say, as lightweight RC planes that people make, uh, uh, they usually make use of balsa wood, for example, or foam, or they sometimes uh, make carbon fiber structure uh, to have camber, meaning they have kind of uh, the profile in the, the thickness. So the top and the bottom layer are not the same. So they would make uh, carbon fiber structure and wrap something around to create a 3D uh, wing, right? Um, that would weigh something. In our robot, we prefer not to do that. We just say, say, hey, let's keep this thing simple. We just make flat wings, right? Flat wings traditionally won't work, won't be super efficient for planes, but our flight works at sm uh, small scale. I mean, it doesn't look small, but the velocity is small. So the Bresnel number is actually still relatively small. It's called intermediate Bresnel number. So it's still in the same scale as large insects. For example, hawk moth, their wings are smaller, but they flap faster. So at the end, the Reynolds numbers are similar. And at that Reynolds number, you'll find that those insects' wings are flat mm -hmm. and they work well. 
uh, they're still efficient. So you find that um, you can probably make use of uh, those things. Uh, and also the fact that uh, our robot uh, has very low disloading, meaning each area per unit area of the wing, it supports very small weight. So meaning it actually doesn't have to be very strong. Uh, so it won't have so much problem of bending motion, for example. So relatively, uh, it doesn't have to be super strong so you can get away with not reinforcing it too much. So you can make the robot lighter and simpler to make instead of 3D printing the whole thing with uh, camber and two 3D profiles, then that would actually, it might work better, but the, the added weight might not. Uh, you have to balance it with the benefit with the added weight and it, at the end, it might not be that useful, uh, but we haven't done that. So we, I cannot say for sure either. Mm -hmm. No, mm. that's a good point. Yeah. Maybe the last question, there's two last question here. Maybe the first one about what other may be something, I mean, other creature do you think is inspiring or still mysterious how they fly or is something you wish may be in future research endeavor that let's understand this creature and you think it may be very interesting i don't know if you have something in your mind and i don't understand how this thing fly uh yes so so the question is uh can i think of for example other creatures yeah and it's still mysterious to you and it's still mysterious to you that's just right. how they fly yeah mm. yeah so um why why um you can say that i work on bio inspired robots um and and i can look for kind of inspiration or motivations um that way now my this might be personal okay but my usual approach is actually not to look at not to search for something inspiring and try to imitate that but usually it comes to the fact that i would like to solve some problem right and i look for inspiration for solution uh i look for solution and i sometimes find that hey uh those insects, those animals or those plants have something that could help me, that could help me. Um, the reason I also say this is because I think at the end of the day, it's about, to me, okay, as I said, this could be personal, right? Uh, imitate, you don't want to, I don't want to just imitate something uh, without understanding it will or without justification why I want to do it. Uh, if you imitate it, but it doesn't work better than other solutions, then I'm, I don't really want to do that. I'm not so interested to do that. Uh, that would be my take. Uh, and that's because uh, also there are lots of engineering constraints as well, for example, um for example this people always say this for example we always use dc motors they're excellent they're great right uh, and you don't actually find something that generates similar motion in nature right uh, so it's definitely not viral inspired um and but it works extremely well and and you create uh for example cars uh electric cars from that, um, and to some extent, you will, we use that everywhere, and it's it's not exactly or or totally bioinspired. There might be some aspects that people can argue is bioinspired, but but totally is from a you know big perspective, it is not. So to me, I think I think it's the bridge between principles that you can take uh, from biology and. Uh, 
the compatibility with what you have uh, in the technology and in the engineering innovation that make you know something to function better um, you can also of course look at biology for limits or, or to, at principles and and to find some limits and to understand why things work that well why it works well why it doesn't work well now if you ask me uh, whether what other things I'm looking for I think the broad the broad answer would be I'm still interested in uh, locomotion uh, and and for example you find that lots of these animals they don't have one function right they have multiple functions for example birds they can fly they can actually walk very well they can actually jump or hop uh, and they 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 because in biology there are lots of functions you need to perform uh, to survive right and so I think uh, the next challenge in like bio and spiral bonds that are small for example and, and it doesn't have to be milli scale but relatively small is actually also to be kind of versatile meaning to to be able to do well uh, with many things not just flying for example and I think that is gonna be interesting but of course you will have to compromise meaning you cannot uh, do well with everything but let's see how we can compromise by sacrificing as little as possible to have more functions I think that would be uh, something that is interesting Excellent. I don't know if you have any final words like to say for people listening any final words like to say Right. Uh, I think okay. One one thing that I consider very important is, so I'm one of the people who still, uh, who's still interested in making uh robots, right? Uh, and we want to improve their performance. Now, improving the performance, uh, sometimes these are physical limits. These are related to components hardware designs right so so that lots going on nowadays with for example artificial intelligence and those are great those are really useful those are uh, groundbreaking and, and I can see that potential uh, they can uh, for example uh, things like deep learning reinforcement learning they can like tremendously improve the performance of robots right um, but at the end of the day, I think we also should not forget that we also still living in physical worlds, uh, a physical world, meaning at the end of the day, we still need physical hardware and whatever algorithm you put on is, is there's still limit on what the robot can do in a physical world because of this dynamic of the hardware constraints of the components. Um, so so i'm just saying that um this is also another important aspect i don't know whether uh we will get to the point where those uh say artificial intelligence could help us design better robots uh not just uh not just how it's controlled of course there's some work that they combine reinforcement learning uh, with the robot design, but uh, I think it's still quite early. Uh, and for example, I'm just curious whether we can get to the point where, uh, where not just we're not talking about just AI beating people in in uh, in chess or no, not chess. What's that? The is it called Go? Yeah, the yeah the IBM. Yeah, but I'm just basically AI not beating people in 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 playing games or making decisions, but whether they can uh help us uh with tasks like designing robots or making better hardware as well. Right. Maybe a quick question. Right. I see a lot of books in the background. Uh, you said at the beginning you read a lot. Sure. What what kind of book you can inspire? I mean, you can recommend. 
um, there's one book that that I like a lot. Uh, it's probably not all about bio inspiration. It's about the bridge of. It's about flying stuff. Um, uh, it's called Simple Science of Flight. Let me double check the name in case I got it wrong. Get it wrong, yeah. Simple Science of Flight. Yeah, I think the Simple Science of Flight is basically um kind of a popular science book that talks about fundamental concepts of flying. The, what's fascinating about this book is that it doesn't go very technical, but it actually does work very well even for someone who is an engineer uh, starting as an engineer uh, or, or is interested in flying stuff flying robot to understand the fundamental principle but what's amazing is that it describes everything from a scale of insects we're talking about small fruit flies that are three milligrams up going up until uh say boeing i mean airbus a380 uh that weighs I don't know how many tons are, but what I'm saying is that um, the physics of scaling is something that is very interesting and scaling of flying stuff is covered very well in this book. Uh, and it gives you, uh, it gives me and I think everyone a very good uh, background and understanding of not just flight, flying, but also the importance of scaling.